This is another episode of On the Grid by Z Prime. Love your energy. This is Z Prime On the Grid, our 100th episode. We've been doing this for about for just over three years, and we finally hit the big hundo. Uh, we uh, used to do it every other week, and I thought that this wouldn't wouldn't come as early as it did. But once we switched to weekly, it really really took off, and uh, here we are at this milestone. I want to before I get into everything, I just want to thank you, the listener, for uh, joining us for some, all, or maybe even if this is just your first one. Uh, being a part of our podcast family and l- listening to us uh, talk about the energy industry. Thank you for that. Uh, another person that I owe a lot of thanks to is my co-host, Aaron Hardick. Aaron, how are you doing? Thanks for being great and being a part of this. Thanks, Dylan. Yeah, I was thinking about how long we'd been doing the podcast, um, knowing that we were recording this 100th episode. And I couldn't remember if it had been two or three years. The time really has flown by. And I've had such an enjoyable experience launching this with you and co-hosting with you and meeting all the people that we've met through the podcast. Yeah, how how... How do you feel about hitting hitting 100? What have you reflected on in regards to the your podcasting career? <laughs> it's been it's pretty surreal to think about. You know, this really was like I would say like most Z Prime uh, new Z Prime projects or products was something that was just kind of mentioned one day, like hey, we should do this, and then we just did it. And all of a sudden, you know, we were starting a podcast and interviewing people. Um, I would say, you know, over those three years, we've both grown a lot in our ability to do interviews and ask questions in a way that really pull information out of people. And that's been a journey in and of itself, just kind of learning how to have conversations with really different types of people. I mean, we've had people on from electric utilities. We've talked about oil and gas. We've talked about transportation. We've talked about e-mobility, micro-mobility. We've talked about smart cities. You know, we've covered such a wide breadth topics on the podcast, which I don't know if we could have done that in other forms of Z Prime content. So this has been a really good way to just kind of branch out and have different conversations with a variety of folks that may not have come our way if we didn't end up launching the show. Yeah, that is that is really true. Um, I, I've I've also been thinking about how I've met a lot of people that are doing you know such interesting things uh, that I probably wouldn't have even heard about if I hadn't you know, if we hadn't had to have them for the the, the podcast um, or re, re, done that outreach. So yeah, I, I, I completely agree. So you, um, at Z Prime, you know, you have a lot of hats. You uh, MC pretty much all of our events and you do a lot of our research. Um, and then you also have your, your, your media hat where you do not just this podcast, but you do a guest contributor article series. Um, you do Z Prime Now videos, and you have a really funny uh, mobility update series you do every week. Uh, so, what are some of your favorite aspects about uh, doing media in the capacity that you do? Well, I would say, just kind of like I mentioned, meeting people and talking to them. What I found over my career in working at Z Prime is that if you show genuine curiosity in a subject and are willing to learn, then people will really give you a lot of information and they'll be really engaging and they'll be willing to share what they know. And I think facilitating the spread of information and, you know, thought leadership, which is one of the things that Z Prime focuses on 
is really important because it helps educate folks that don't know much about maybe some topics and they want to know about those topics. And doing that via media has been really fulfilling because I feel like in a certain sense, it's mission driven personally, because I want to, you know, hopefully do things in my career that ultimately help and benefit other people. So if I can play a role in helping people get access to information, helping people get access to educational resources or just knowledge in general, uh, I would consider that a success. And my role at Z Prime, both writing research, conducting research, writing research, and doing media, I think all of those things kind of play into that mission to help facilitate the spread of important information, helping people get access to information, knowledge, educational resources that they may not have otherwise been able to do. And then kind of like on a personal note, aside from my mission and my professional career, I've just learned how to engage with people better. You know, it comes back to asking questions and listening um, to what other people are saying and responding to what they're saying as opposed to listening and then just waiting to say what I have to say. I think that is a really important skill that I've tried to develop over these past few years in media. How do I make sure that I'm not just thinking about what I want to think about in saying that, but listening to what the other person is saying, taking that into account, and then responding to that thought, because that's what facilitates good dialogue. Um, so that's kind of how I view my role at Z Prime and really how media plays into that and kind of my favorite parts of it. Yeah, I really like I really like that. Uh, I think that um, you, you, you're very clear about that, that, jur- that journey. And I, I I I'm really happy that that's uh, that all, that this work in media has helped you helped you grow in that way. Um, and I will say, you know, I think right now it's even more important than ever. Given our current social environment, sometimes it feels like we've forgotten how to have respectful dialogue with people that we may not necessarily agree with all the time. And it sometimes feels like we've forgotten how to engage thoughtfully and be open-minded in ways or when you're talking with someone who may have conflicting values or conflicting views as you. So in any way that I can help facilitate respectful dialogue in places, in areas where people have conflicting views, I think that's really important as well. Well, I think just based on uh, all of the content of yours that, that I've seen that you are accomplishing and continuing to uh, accomplish that uh, through through all the through all the content you've done with all different kinds of people with different kinds of takes on uh, on the energy industry. So I, I I very much think you're succeeding in that effort. Um, Speaking so speaking of uh, the role that media plays and the, the the power it has, a lot of people who follow Z Prime have probably noticed that you know since the pandemic has hit and we've had to change the way we do our event scheduling that we've also that we've also taken a step taken a step back and reassessed how we do our media uh, it, it that's that's changed significantly since you know since since this whole malarkey started uh and to talk about sort of what uh what media in this environment is like we have our old friend jason rodriguez z prime ceo here to uh, talk about that jason uh welcome back to the show how are you doing i'm doing doing great thank you dylan and congrats Dylan and Aaron on the hundredth episode—that's a major accomplishment. It's something that I think the industry all finds extremely valuable. 
And it's it's something to be very proud of. I know I'm personally proud of it. And as a company, it's become a cornerstone um, cornerstone service and um, podcast that not just we look forward to, but a lot of our friends and good partners look forward to. Well, thank you. Uh, we appreciate that. Uh, also joining us is Z Prime co-founder Mark Isak, uh, making his debut on the show. Mark, welcome. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm happy and well. So, Jason, from your perspective, how do you feel about what Z Prime has accomplished during 2020? Yeah, I feel very, very, very proud. I think is is probably the the best word to to accomplish it, given the I think as you mentioned, right, being heavy, heavy, heavy physically event driven from a business perspective, and then transforming that to to doing virtual and digital media engagement and across all different types of platforms, whether it's video, uh, podcasts, uh, online, uh, from newsletters, uh, you, you name it. I, I think it would have been hard for a lot of companies to do that. But the, the pivot that we did was was very, very exciting. And I think it's opened up a lot of doors that I don't think even even you were there. Um, and it, it's opened up, I think what Aaron touched on early on, it's opened up others perspective of how to view dialogue and engagement in not just in the age of COVID, but I think I think it was a real challenge for a lot of the industry to see the value of digital engagement post-COVID. And I think so thankfully a lot of the groundwork that you've done over a hundred hundred episodes, right? You you guys had already seen the value of being able to connect and relate and have conversations in that digital format. But our industry just honestly was just far from that prior to the outbreak. And so it's been slow to for them to engage with it. But I think we were right there, right place, right time in a lot of a lot of respects. And so that that's been exciting. And I'm very excited to where how this this continues to evolve. How do you feel about what Z Prime has accomplished uh, with, with media over the course of 2020? I'd like I, I like to say that we are setting an example, at least for our industry, that Creativity and resourcefulness are the the two most powerful traits that uh, leaders and organizations um, could have in this in this this moment as, as we uh, are all learning uh, in terms of Z Prime's progress. It's it's constantly evolving, constantly changing. Uh, however. We still stuck to our guns uh, in what I believe that how we're known in the industry is the way in which we package content, whether that be uh, research, media, events, which now are virtual. It, they're all symbiotic. And I think all organizations, whether you're a hardware, software provider like a Siemens or you're providing electricity in our backyard at Austin Energy, you have to learn how to to work with with all your talented people, tools that you've never used before, and you have to be open uh, to new types and forms of of media to to deliver the same voice, but in a, a more intimate way. And Mark, what role sort of do you believe that uh, the podcast plays in our mission? Since we're at the big hundo today, I, I believe the podcast has been the catalyst, uh, lack of better term, the, the genesis of, of Z Prime stepping into another realm. Before that, we had your more traditional um, research and video interviews. Podcast gave us flexibility to talk to not only those in different industries, <clears throat> but those are open uh, to taking on a, a different form of media. And in, in, Compliment to those earlier guests, and again, especially in this industry, to uh, sticking their neck out and taking on a, a different form of media. So the, the podcast, I think, I believe, without the podcast, uh, we wouldn't be where we are today with uh, the, the different forms of media that we're using. Um, and, and and I don't believe we'd be where we are uh, today uh without um our, our audience kind of opening their arms to, to something different because right now 
whether they're competitors not or their partners um and even the vendors it, it seems that everyone has some form of a podcast or uh uh an introspective type uh form of voice that uh um that they they can use for their network yeah it is sort of interesting how the landscape has changed uh, aaron um you know you, you've been you've been working with people uh, in this space for a number of years now, how has energy media sort of changed in your time in the industry? I would say, and I don't intend for this to be maybe a super harsh take, but media in the industry exists now. It almost feels like it didn't really exist that much five years ago when I started working in energy and more specifically electric utilities but with all of the change that's occurred in the industry, one of the big things that's come out of that change, aside from you know the utility transformations, the business transformations, is this em emergence of media and the need to create an identity for utilities and create these brand identities within the marketplace to differentiate between competitors. It's really just blown up over the past five years. It didn't even seem like it was an area of interest really when I first started, but now it's something that a lot of folks are focusing on and looking at and using to build relationships, not only with customers, but with partners and startups and technology firms. It's just really changed a lot and almost come into this spotlight, it feels like. Yeah, I think that I think that I think that's really true. Um you know, and Jason, you know, you've been doing you've been talking with uh prominent figures in the space since, you know, before the energy gang existed, before Z Prime on the grid existed. Um, you know, and before, you know, utility dive was the, st was the standard for, uh, for, for, for news in the space. So what, uh, how, how have you seen, uh, media change and what power does this new media hold in the energy space? It's changed a lot, obviously, and from especially at, at, at the executive level and what executives, how they view it, where traditionally, it, if you're just talking media, right, there's definitely a hesitancy to even, a hesitancy, and they were crafting every word they said and how it was responded to, and every little engagement with, with anything public-facing was just really scrutinized. And it still is, I think, to, to some extent, but I think that the power of story and telling telling the story and getting your message out there is, is just now starting to be seen as a key tool to to really help help them tell their story, but also move the move the energy industry forward in a very progressive way and, and to meet goals and to bring new people into it. And I think that's just now starting to happen. Whereas, uh, I mean, you guys have all seen it, get, getting executives on on webinars and or podcasts or videos was hard already, um, but you've definitely seen, I think, them embrace that over the, the, the pandemic and even the past year. And and this is something we started seeing in 2015 is the, the want and willingness to act like a brand, uh, a big brand, and tell your story like a brand. Uh, but also be true to those those principles. I think that's we're just starting to see that. I think kind of Mark touched on that too. We're at the, the beginning of it, and, and I really view us collectively as as leading leading that charge and helping them understand how to use the medium uh, best ways. But also, uh, it's also an interesting way just to connect, just to build connection and relationships where I, I don't think that was traditionally viewed as as a sense before. It was yeah. just not something that was embraced. Yeah, I think that's I think that's an important point that maybe the the change in the energy media landscape is just a natural extension of the fact that the industry itself has uh, broadened and changed so drastically. And I don't just mean that in the in the sense of you know 
young media savvy people are entering the space, although that's certainly part of it. But it's also that the industry, what the industry means is a much broader coalition than just utilities and vendors, because there's also all these, you know, consumer advocacy groups uh, that are trying to fight for very many different kinds of issues that directly affect, that directly work with the industry in terms of housing, in terms of you know access to access to necessities, and in terms of workplace diversity and all all that all that sort of thing. So so what we can count as the industry is much broader, and I think because of that, having media as a no pun intended mediator of the dialogue was sort of inevitable and i'm really happy that uh that we're able to uh to be to be a part of that system i i agree i i i like to speak less about d prime and, and more about uh our industry following sometimes replicating emulating what we do and it's and and that's flattering i i love producing uh an interview again using using uh, the word resourcefulness. Uh, recording an interview, your, your your traditional Zoom, I guess now traditional Zoom interview, and a lot it's done in post to to make it more engaging. And then seeing uh, and then seeing a, a company uh, that has nothing to do with media and everything to do with, uh, for example, the smart grid, in producing something that's fun and engaging. Uh, that that's where I believe Z Prime is doing its best work is is setting an example and those in the industries of, is replicating that as Aaron shared, uh, media in in many in all forms did not exist in, in the energy industry um, uh, and the the I guess you could say quickly been onboarded uh, to know what's appropriate what's not appropriate. Uh, maybe sometimes being a little over the top and radical again, uh, observing what Z Prime's doing. But I, I, if if Z Prime has a place in on the media front, I, I think it's uh, affording that luxury of being a bit open minded in in doing uh, interesting and fun and engaging things. Because with with most of the clients we serve, the utility their their end customer. They scrutinize the pixels, you know, they're digesting content in all forms 24-7, even while they're sleeping, right? So when they wake up, they want to be engaged, and there's no reason why uh, a national grid can't do that. So I, 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 I love that we're all working off of each other right now in media. Mark, I, so you, I mean, you mentioned creativity creativity and resourcefulness at the beginning. And you also just mentioned that, you know, sometimes E-Prime can be over the top and do these kind of crazy things. Do you feel like the industry has been, has become more open to creativity in general over the past five years? And can you maybe share a story or an example when we first started of somebody kind of pushing back on uh, kind of out there idea and maybe how that's changed now? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. Uh, I, the, I'll start with the example uh, and, and Z Prime was, I wouldn't say it was a household name, at least for the power industry, but by 2014, we at least established ourselves in the research space, market research rather. And uh, uh, we decided to enter the physical realm with 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 Energy Thought Summit ETS, and uh, we started from the very top. Who who could we pick that would resonate not only with energy, not only with industries in the periphery of energy, with everyone? Uh, and the name that continued uh, came to, that came to mind often was was Steve Wozniak. Uh, and our idea to launch this event was to throw Steve Wozniak, well, first of all, fly him in from California, rent a Segway, uh, get him in a Tesla. Again, this is 2014. Tesla was, was still 
a bit of anomaly in the automotive space, right? So when you saw one, you're like, you know, wow, it's, it's it was like a, a next generation DeLorean. So we we threw Steve Wozniak into a Tesla. He hopped out, he jumped on a Segway. He had a, I believe like a 16 piece marching band right behind him. Um, he proceeds to go into the Paramount Theater. Those that know the Paramount Theater, it's, it's, I believe they, uh, They've been around maybe a hair short of or above a hundred years. It's, it's a beautiful theater. We proceeded to take them into the theater onto the stage, and that's how we introduced um, uh, Energy Thought Energy Thought Summit, right? So we went in with ambitions that the energy industry is maybe more open-minded than everyone else, right? It just sometimes it needed a nudge here and there. That I think the pushback or the question rather uh, always res has always resonated um, with our partners, their, their comfort level. But uh, uh, what, what, what it has helped help mend that, that comfort is that, uh, again, people sticking their necks out is that we've always had a loyal base of uh, the people that, that, have our, that have our back, you know? So I think we've been able to cite less examples and again, lead lead by example, because to do anything over the top in any in industry, you just have to jump off the cliff, right? <laughs> Whether you're falling face first or feet, um, you, you have to take that risk and hopefully, you know, uh, one or everyone jumps with you. So uh, we're, running a we're, we're running a bit on time here. Um, so I want to do a quick bit of a bit of a lightning round with the, with, with the squad here. I want to ask, what's your favorite energy headline from this year that you're that, that makes you excited? My, mine is mine is the one this conversation. I don't know if it's been a headline, but um, it's this conversation of walkability that that's coming back into play, which has been uh, it directly impacts energy transition because we are um, both from an environmental standpoint, uh, obviously using less energy. Uh, whether it's uh, gas or any other types. Uh, so this conversation, that walkability, actually opening up space, it's almost like you have to rethink where we were 50, 100 years ago and how people communicated and and, and got around back then. And we're almost like everything old is new again, kind of cliche. And uh, to me, to me, that's that's one of the, the exciting things coming out of 2020. Mine's less tangible, but more about the energy industry railing with other industries in this time of not a new normal but a new beginning it uh very comforting to, to know that all industries are working together to at least put a stake in the ground it doesn't it doesn't have to be that this time doesn't have to be that difficult and i i with all the conversations that we have i they i've i'm sometimes surprised on and how much uh this industry especially the utilities uh, are going out of their way to, to, to help. Oops, my bad. Mine is in a similar vein as Jason, which is our cities, the way we reimagine our cities and how we move around them. And because you asked for headlines, I'll give you two specific ones, but an overall and an overall broader trend. The specific headlines are Toyota partnering with AWS on a mobility services platform and then Porsche also launching a mobility service platform with the overall trend of OEMs and major car manufacturers launching these mobility platforms. So moving away from maybe individual car ownership and how you rethink the way people move in cars and how you better use those assets and what electric vehicles will mean to the grid and the movement of those vehicles around our cities and how they impact the grid. That's really pertinent um, because mine was about urban air mobility, which admittedly I probably have on the brain because we released a uh, video just recently um, about it. But uh, I saw a headline a couple weeks back about how urban air mobility can be used uh, to help with first response, they can, you know, you can attach hoses to them and have have uh, drones help put out fires or have uh, use air taxis to help 
get people out of out of situations that would be hard to get them out of otherwise um that sort of thing and i that plays into that larger aspect of what you're talking about about how um we're sort of rethinking we're sort of rethinking cities the way we get around um all the, all the sorts of things we like to talk about uh, at our events especially city of the future and that to me is representative of how you can take um these you know what 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 seem like edge use technologies and turn them into uh whole new solutions and i think that you know no matter what really happens in regards to you know in in regards to you know the future i think that that sort of industriousness and um willingness to find solutions to key problems is going to always be a thing i think that and because of that i think that the industry um is always going to continue to expand uh as a as a result of just having more minds uh working with the tool with the tools available to come up with new solutions and so yeah that that's why i that's why i I found that to be really heartening same way that uh y'all did with yours Dylan, just talking about the industry changing, when I first started, there was a lot of talk of the utility death spiral. And it's just like this idea that utilities may not exist. But if one thing is clear, and to kind of to go back to what Mark just said about the industry proving that we can just continue on, it can continue on. If one thing is clear, like this market, this industry is always going to exist. It's probably not going to look anything like it looks right now in 10, 15 years, but it is always going to be there. And an industry that changes that much is really exciting to follow and be a part of. So I'm just excited to see where it goes and kind of what it looks like. And when we're recording our 200th episode, how different it will be from today. That's a, that's a good point, man, to think we're eventually going to have a 200th episode. I just want to take a want to take a quick sentimental moment just that that I didn't, you know, I didn't imagine actually that we'd be in this spot when the, when this is, you know, something just kind of offhandedly pitched one day in the summer of uh 2017, but um I'm really you know, I'm really proud of all the effort that so many people have put into this show um and I'm yeah I'm I'm glad that we've made made it to 100 in over 3 years and that hopefully we can uh push through to 100 more. Uh and with that, thank um, Jason, I'd like to thank you for being here to celebrate with us and you too, Mark. Yeah. Thank you. And Aaron, thanks for uh being here through through 100 with me and here's to 100 more. Thanks, Dylan, and thanks for leading the charge on our podcast efforts. Oh, it's, all, it's, it's always been my pleasure. Okay, so now we're going to close out the show by, by replaying some favorite moments from earlier episodes of the podcast, starting where it all started. Hello, and welcome to Z-Prime on the Grid, a new podcast on the energy industry. My name is Dylan Lockwood. I am the online content editor for Z Prime, and I'm also joined by research analyst Aaron Hardick. How are you today, Aaron? I'm doing pretty well, Dylan. How are you? I, I'm also doing quite well. Thank you for asking. Uh, we've got a good show today. Our topic is the power of local, and later we'll be talking to Carl Popham, who is head of emerging technologies and electric vehicles at Austin Energy. But first, we're going to start with a quick look at some news. Aaron, what did you see this week that intrigued you? Well, seeing that I am an Austin resident, I figured it would be only appropriate to bring a piece of Austin news to our Power of Local podcast. Um, So Austin Energy actually recently signed a new uh, wind contract for a wind farm in, in the Gulf Coast. Uh, it looks like the utility will have um, 1,300 megawatts of wind power under the contract. 
um, an additional 306 megawatts of utility-scale solar power in its portfolio and 320 megawatts coming online over the next 18 months. So I, I just think it's really interesting how much people are, are starting to really look at wind. You know, there's talk in the industry about wind um, possibly becoming more of, of a base load as we move as we move towards uh, more renewables in the generation portfolio. Um, so I, I certainly see how something like this lines up with Austin Energy's uh, strategy. You know, the city council set a goal to have 55% renewable power by 2025, and this, this contract really is going to help them uh, get there, I think. So this next clip took place at the first ETS launch party I ever attended. It was for ETS 2018 in Austin, Texas. Man, remember when we could just go to events? <sighs> anyway, there we met up with SMUD board member and eventual on-the-grid guest host at ETS next year, Nancy Bowie-Thompson, and we played a bit of a childish game. And hey, Christine is in this one. I don't think we mentioned it in the show, but early on, Christine not only helped host the podcast, she supported it in many behind-the-scenes ways, even though she has moved on to a successful career elsewhere. Just wanted to shout her out here for her role in these 100 episodes. So, Christine, if you're listening, thanks. This this is a it's a business event, but it's also a party we're at. So, I was thinking we could do some we could do something fun. We could we could play a game rather uh, childish game that I'm sure you've played at some point in your in your uh, days at high school or college. It's called Would You Rather? Um, a good old camping trip classic. I've blatantly stolen this from another podcast I listened to, but we're going to do it about energy. So uh, I'm going to ask you, a, I'm going to ask you, would you rather do this or do this or something like that? And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to pass you the microphone and then I want you to say what you would rather and give a and give it just a short explanation why because because we are a professional data driven company. <laughs> I can't just say it and then move on. Exactly. So uh, we'll start with this one. So uh, so over the next five years, would you rather be an established tech company dealing in legacy technologies or a brand new blockchain based startup? Seeing that I work in tech, uh, in five years, I would prefer to be a brand new blockchain company because starting now going for fire. Yeah. yeah, I would I would rather be a, a startup blockchain company only because uh, there is a path to be made um, and uh, and driven. And I want to be part of that driving crew. I don't know. Nancy was so definitive in her answer and she knew right away. I think I may take the other side and say I would want to deal with legacy systems because I think the whole industry has to move forward and we can't forget about some of the technologies that have been so prevalent to helping these utilities um, become what they are today. And I think I would just want to be on the side that's assisting Nancy and the people who are driving the industry forward and kind of playing the, the caboose that's like, all right, everybody has to, has to come along with us on this journey. I would say both, but I know Dylan would get mad at me if, if I said that. So I have to pick. I know. I'm a rule breaker. Um, no, I would. I mean, I think the startup piece would be would be definitely exciting um, just because there's so much change going on in the industry. And just to have those startups that are challenging the industry and, and thinking about things differently and are maybe a little bit more scrappy and, you know, not within sort of these larger legacy frameworks could be really helpful. But I mean, it definitely, there's still obviously a ton of value for um, larger organizations with legacy frameworks. And like Aaron said, I mean, it, it's all going to have to work together in a good ecosystem. Would you rather, so would you rather be the secretary of energy or the CEO of Duke? Now you're not going to, you're not quantum leaping. You don't become Rick Perry. Like you, the person as, as, as a, as just, you would just have that job. Would it be the, would you rather be the secretary of energy or the CEO of Duke? Um, I would probably, I'd probably actually like to be the CEO of Duke because I think it's, it really comes down to, you know, how do we make it work within, um, organizations and I'm definitely more of like a local slash regionalist type person, even though, uh, Duke energy is pretty gigantic. Um, but I like that. I like that and empowering, um, you know, economic development and all those sorts of things. So I would definitely err towards the, the Duke energy side. 
I think I would also go with Duke, mostly because I don't want to be in politics at all. Um, I, I like business, and I like the idea of innovation. And um, if I were to be a CEO, which I hope to be one day, um, I would want to work for a utility that is interested in innovation and driving value for their stakeholders as well as their community. Um, I think it can be very impactful. How I think being the secretary of energy can also be impactful. Um, but for me, I, I think I would find more value um, in working for the utility. Well, because I do come from a business background, I would like to be the secretary of energy because I think that the people that are running our agencies in this country really don't know how it is on the ground running a utility and setting policy and strategy. So I would love to lend that voice of someone that's come from the business world, has come from energy and technology, and be able to set processes and procedures, um, grant making, um, you know, programs to change the way that the utilities do business for the better of the consumer. I think that's what we're missing. We really are missing that that connector between business technology and utilities in our agency leaders uh, so that we can move the needle, that we can get the right utilities in the room, and we can set the right policies to help us get to these 100% renewable goals. I'm just really happy when you guys don't all pick the same one. <laughs> uh, all right, so assume, let's assume you work for a utility. Not too hard for Nancy. Um, would you rather have a five-minute five long grid-wide outage uh, once a week for a year or one, we one week-long outage at some random point in the year? It depends on the week. Um, you know, if it was a, a really nice week in the, the mid-70s, then... I mean, probably... I, I mean, I, I would say a five-minute outage just because it would... I mean, a week-long would be be a long time to go without power and and phones so I think I would also have to go with the five minutes because if it's every week you can get to the point where your customers they know when unless there's sporadic five minute outages like one week it's on Monday and one week it's on Wednesday five minute outages are random like so this is for a year every once a week once a week at some point during the week there will be a five minute outage just just for a year it's the that's the bug in the system well I would definitely have to ask my customers which they would prefer but I think I would still go with the five-minute outage. I live in Texas, and the idea of having a week in August without AC is terrifying to me. So I think I could handle five-minute outages once a week as opposed to sweating for a week straight, profusely sweating for a week straight. So I would choose the one-week outage system-wide only because, hypothetically, we're all supposed to be planning for this. We are all supposed to be planning for the end-of-days event um, where we're out for a week. Uh, I, I would hope that we could sustain um, an outage. It would be uncomfortable. We have had uh, certainly many days outages in our district, but having a five-minute outage randomly through the week would I think even be more detrimental because you can't plan for that. We have disaster recovery planning that we're supposed to execute that um, this would be a good trial of that to see could we could we survive an outage. We're a five minute once a week I don't think really tests our resiliency for a catastrophic outage. Again I prefer that neither happens but at least the one week outage would test if our systems are in place and we're ready for Armageddon. See, I, I think that's the right answer, personally, because uh, the thing is, is that a couple years ago, there we, we had a summer in Spokane, where I'm from, where we had this big windstorm and knocked out power for like 80% of the city for almost two weeks, in fact, and in some areas, it was two weeks. Uh, and when you're in that, the cust as from, from the customer side, you're in a mindset of, of it, there's frustration, like the more, it, the more it goes on, but you're in a mindset of we're in a disaster. This is how this is going. Whereas if you just, if you have to reset your microwave, like once a week at some random time, you don't, you're like, oh, again, and then it, that, that just like built for a year, 52 weeks of that, of it just getting more and more irritating. It's like the water drop torture. I have a microwave that does not have a digital clock on it. So I would, that's where I think for me, like I basically have my computer and my phone and they all have battery backup. So, you know, having a five minute random outage wouldn't probably impact me as much as it would. 
I like how Christine and I's answers are based on what we, what impacts us the most, whereas Nancy's more concerned. Uh, she really has the utility perspective. She's like, what's best for the community? And Christine and I are like, we have batteries on our phones, and I'm not trying to be too hot. This next clip is from one of the few emergency podcasts we did. Uh, this was in relation to Scott Pruitt, the former head of the EPA, being fired. And we had on then editor at Utility Dive, Gavin Bade, on to talk about how that would affect lots of different things, but mainly how it would affect the industry. And I think both he and Aaron had really salient points about the relationship between regulation and utility policy when it comes to environmental regulations in this in this way uh so yeah take take a listen to these seemingly more and more relevant takes with each day i mean the i I don't see any huge sea changes in the utility business model coming from epa regulation um but yeah definitely you know if you talk to the communities who are impacted by these things, like it matters if you live next to a coal plant with a huge pit of coal ash next to it, like it definitely matters to you if your state and the federal government are making the, are making utilities clean it up. Um, so I don't want to discount it, but it is a little bit different talking about from a financial standpoint, okay, what impact is this going to have on the industry to what impact will this have on public health and things like that? Yeah. I just think it's important that, um, I think it's just important to remember that policy really isn't the only thing influencing business decisions. Like the economics of coal plants, um, they're they're just not as economical as they used to be. They don't make people as much money. And that's, I mean, that is something to consider. So yeah, policy isn't the only thing driving these decisions. Um, Innovation and the ability to (laughs) make money is really influencing the industry um, just as much or even more as policy changes would, in my opinion. And this next one is when SNC's David Chiesa and I spent five minutes talking about Star Wars at Distributech. One of the things that I'm noticing is that despite despite these conventions putting out all this technology and promising to address all of these issues that are affecting the modern the modern utility today, the one issue that no one's weighed in on so far is uh, whether or not the Last Jedi is actually reverent of the original trilogies, or if it's uh, or if it's a two and a half hour critique of them. Because the thing is that whenever people have this conversation, it always focuses on like tangential details like Laura Dern's hair color, which isn't really important. But but because it just basically seems to come down to a it's coming down to an interpretation of the meta text. Because the people who think it's like an anti-nostalgia takedown are kind of focusing on that line that Kylo Ren has where he says, you know, let go of the past, kill it if you have to. And then so the question is whether or not the movie's saying he has a point when he says that. And I would argue that he doesn't because the, the point of view character is Ray and the two guys in the movie, the two guys in the movie that are most, that are trying to, trying to convince her to let go of her fangirl nostalgia, which is Luke and Kylo Ren. She both was able to talk them down. And the one that doesn't end up coming back is the one that turns into an unredeemable bad guy. I'm, I'm curious what the two Star Wars fans here have to say about that. Well, first off, let me just say, Spoilers. <laughs> yes. Spoiler alert. Because yeah, I mean, wasn't that just some spoiler? Not really. That was that was literally that was that was just the understood that was common the, knowledge. That was the setup of the movie. Yeah. That was the theme. all of that just, information was. In I'm the just trailers. looking out for people <laughs> who might want to watch this movie. So <laughs> let me let me let me first just say spoilers will come in a minute. But the acting on on this movie versus the previous movies. In general, so much better. If you go back and you watch the early Star Wars, forget the story part. The acting was terrible. I mean, the dialogue was abominable. It was, it was, ah, it was unbelievable almost. From so the bar was set really, really low. Oh my God! Yes. And then they just barely. Then you had the second trilogy with Hayden Christensen, which was even worse. That was. I think I might. He might have won the Razzie for every single scene he was in. Terrible. I just want to say. I just want to say that all of this, all of this, all of this criticism. You can just put a bubble around anyone who's ever portrayed Obi-Wan. Alec Guinness and Ewan McGregor are national treasures. I will not have them slandered on my uh, show. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Uh, he, thank God, the only time Hayden Christian was any good was when Obi-Wan was, was with them and they were able to, to do some, you know, some, some back and forth there. 
But anyway, so the acting, so much better. Even uh, Mark Hamill. Got better. Oh my God, was he so much better. It was, it was great. So first off, the movie I thought was, was very good. My son hated it. He had exactly the same thing of where it, it kind of, it, it threw shade on all the rest of the Star Wars, uh, you know, canon and everything else. And I was like, the only thing that really bothered me, this is a spoiler alert, is what the heck was the deal with Snoke? Why did you kill off, you know, the Emperor-like figure halfway through the second movie? And, and then I started thinking about it, and this is where I think that they're going. If you look at it, there's no masters left in the universe, right? Uh, so the only Jedi master disappeared into the Force, and the only, only Dark Sith Lord is now gone. And so you have these two protagonists, Dark and Light, that no longer, they're both apprentices. Neither are, are masters. So theoretically you go... Is this really kind of like what the New Hope is all about, where now you can actually move forward without any of the prejudice of the past, because these guys don't really have these these masters that are that are teaching them. I think they're going to end up teaching each other, and that's where real balance comes from. So I kind of like the way they took the story in a totally different direction. And the other one was Luke projecting himself all that way. Oh, that was man, awesome. That was, so awesome. That was great. That was so what did he do? Oh, he force projected himself across practically the universe to trick the bad guy. To trick the bad guy. So then when he, he gets hit by all these blasters and everything else and all that stuff, I mean, he just gets totally obliterated. And at the end, he goes, <laughs> wipes some, some dust off his shoulder, and you go, all right, now that dude is powerful. And so you realize later on, it's like, no, that dude was a hologram. <laughs> but it was, I mean, that part there was great. A little predictable, yes, but man, there was a lot of action in it, too. So I thought it was a good movie. Slightly confusing with the whole Snoke thing. That was well, that was my one thing. People are forgetting it when they when they say that is that you know you didn't really know who the Emperor was in the original trilogy. He was just he was just this big bad guy that just serves to try and corrupt the main the main person. He was with the their power. Yeah, and then he gets killed. Is this I mean is this is the same thing? The, like people don't remember that because now we do have a backstory for the Emperor in the in the prequels, right. which no one seems to like anyway. So I don't know. Is do you this, like the prequels? I no, but I've watched them enough that I've stopped like. Having yeah. hatred over like I, just, I liked that it it was in the same way that the that the Force Awakens was just a new hope again in this yeah. way in this way just like you've got the the uh, happiest first happy establishing movie and then you have the follow up by a different you have the follow up by a different director that's a lot that's a lot more that's a lot darker yeah. and has it and takes things in a different direction that was the Empire Strikes Back and it's also which means that we'll, which means that the next one, when you go back to the you'll go back to the original director, and it won't be it won't be quite as good, but it'll have a it'll have a lot of fan service because yep. that's what the last that's what Return of the Jedi was. Yeah. Well. Last year, when things were normal, Aaron Hardick and Aaron Otan went on a cross state road trip all across Texas in a Tesla Model Three also known as the E.V. Aaron's Road Trip, which I'm sure many of you consumed content on. One piece of which, of course, was an episode of the podcast where they were gracious enough to talk to me in the car uh, about how their experience had gone. And here's a clip from that. Obviously, the final verdict will come when the trip is over, but just some initially, has your experience so far convinced you or taught you anything about the viability of electric vehicles in Texas? Definitely that I would love to own a Tesla. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think for sure um, it's, they're definitely viable in Texas. Like I said before, I think it would be difficult, um, you know, at least a statewide road trip like we're on on in a different car that didn't have as long a range and took longer to charge. But even for for just city driving, I think even um, you know the shorter range vehicles would be perfectly viable because. One person we talked to said uh, that owning an electric vehicle, you basically wake up every morning with a full tank of gas because you're you're able to charge it overnight and and have that full power. So, yeah, I think for city driving, it's a very reasonable purchase. You know, when we're in San Antonio and more of the populated metropolitan environments, they are viable. But I don't think that out here in West Texas. Uh, it still is a very good option just because, you know, going back to the lifestyle that these people out here are living, driving a lot, the infrastructure just isn't here yet for them to comfortably do that and order, 
and also without having to put a charging station in their home, which is expensive and has, requires a lot of upfront capital. So I think in, yeah, the metropolitan areas and the people who are commuting maybe out here. So when we were at PEC, uh, Julie Parsley, the CEO, she mentioned that there are a few employees that commute from Tripping Springs and Marble Falls. Um, and then they charge their EVs once they get to PEC all day, and then they drive home in their EVs. However, PEC only has three electric vehicles in their fleet, and that's because their service territory is 8,100 square miles. So you can't really drive around the whole service territory in an electric vehicle in a time-efficient manner. Um, so... and. Yeah, downtown areas, yes, and maybe for commuting, but I don't know about, you know, some of these small towns out here that we're stopping in. I don't think that the viability is quite there yet, and don't think it will be for maybe five to ten years or so. One, uh, one, one last question. I'm just curious. Uh, how does it drive? Oh, both Aaron and I are like, we don't want to go back to our car. It's amazing experience. The design of this vehicle... Yeah, just the way it drives, I feel like I'm like speechless. I don't know. Until you do it, you don't really understand how fluid and easy and intuitive it is. Yeah, I definitely agree. I felt comfortable, you know, within the first few minutes of driving it. Yeah, and I have to admit, you know, I feel very safe in this car. Um, all the features that it has and, you know, assisted driving and autopilot, it brakes so much quicker than a traditional ICE vehicle. It accelerates so much quicker than a traditional ICE vehicle. So Paula Gold Williams actually made a good point. She herself is an EV driver. You know, sometimes when you're in, you know, a downtown area and maybe you're at risk of getting hit in a situation and you need to accelerate quickly, an electric vehicle is going to accelerate so much quicker than a traditional ICE vehicle. So there's a lot of safety built into these vehicles that a lot of people don't realize. I know that Teslas for the past two years have been the safest cars um, on the National Highway Safety Test because of all of these features. So it's a very fun experience. And personally, yeah, I feel you know very comfortable and safe in this car, which I think is very important. And finally, we're going to leave you with some words of wisdom from CPS Energy CEO Paula Gold-Williams. You just kind of gave some advice to folks who are, you know, kind of in maybe the higher up the, the C-suite. But I was wondering if you had any advice for the folks who are interested in getting into the energy space in general. I listened to an interview you did with the KLR, KLRN public television station, the podcast, and you mentioned something along the lines of you just kind of said yes to a lot of things and that's how you've got into the position that you are today so what advice do you have for some of us younger folks that aren't really sure how to you know be in fact impactful or kind of pursue a career in this space what advice do you have um i mean like you hit a lot of the things that i believe you know um one thing I would say that I don't normally talk about as much, you know, stop thinking there's a magic recipe out there for your success. Like, like I, I when I was um, when I was an auditor in, in my background, I remember I had I was working. Yeah, I'd only been working about a year, and I looked at my supervisor, and I felt like I didn't really know. There must be some secret. Everybody else knows stuff, and they're 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 better at things than I do, or they're figuring out things, but. I will, I, like, when will I make that step where, where all will be revealed and I'll be in the club and everybody will, I will know what they know and, and uh, somebody's holding out on me. I, I kept thinking about it. it was this, this, this thing that I could shoot for that I could see. And, you know, uh, he, he said to me, you'll know when you know. And I'm like, well, that is not helpful in any way. But there, it, it isn't about a magic secret sauce or a perfection, right? It's not about perfection. Um, life isn't perfect. Actually, what I think uh, more so is I don't need perfect people. Perfect people are rigid and lacking creativity and 
and um, they won't do certain things. They won't get their hands dirty. They won't. They won't dive into a problem because they don't want to be labeled with a failure. I don't have any interest in people who are about perfection. They're insecure because if they have a failure, oh my God, the world is the world is falling around their heads. I don't have time to make you feel good about your imperfections. That's not the work. The work are the people that are going to go in and go, you know what, that is a mess, Paul. You got a ton of stuff to do. I'm going to go in there and try to detangle it. And, and, and if everybody goes in and just leaves in and tries to detangle it and then comes up with solutions, actions, and starts what, what I call having action-enabled strategies, Make it, not just sitting participating about what could be and how bad it could be and where to go, just lean in and realize that imperfection is, in fact, an opportunity. Thanks for listening, both today and always. You can find our research and media at zprime.com. You can find us on social media at D.Y. Lockwood, at Aaron Hardick, at zprime underscore research. There's still time to register for ETS 20. For more information on that, go to ets20.co. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time and for another 100 episodes. <laughs>